0: Welcome to Forward, the podcast of the Forward-Thinking Chiropractic Alliance. This is your home for progressive, thought-provoking, real talk in the chiropractic profession. Featuring the legends, the innovators, and the thought leaders that move our profession forward. And now your host, Dr. Bobby Mabee. Okay, everyone, welcome to forward the podcast, the forward thinking chiropractic Alliance. I am Dr. Bobby maybe and I am representing the forward thinking chiropractic Alliance, which is a group of people that initially met on Facebook. Now there's 10,000 of us. It's crazy. Uh, but we have an organization, you can check us out at forwardthinkingchiro.com If you like what we stand for, if you want to be listed on our map, and get all the benefits of being a member of the FTCA, you can join there. Uh, we are sponsored, we are represented, we are supported, uh, not the FTCA not supported, but the P- you people who are part of the FTC are supported by the following partners and sponsors Hyperice, Jane app drop release, the T tool China gel, the smart chiropractor chiropractic success Academy, gestalt education. And we're going to have a talk with a co-founder of one of the, our special guests, our special guests and special sponsors coming up. We also partner or support two uh, chiropractic entities. One is World Spine Care, and you should look in the near future for us to produce a fundraising virtual summit for to benefit World Spine Care and their mission throughout the world. And you can check them out at worldspinecare.org. I think that's their website. We can always edit that later if that's not right. Google will help you out with that World Spine Care thing. And our other uh, partner that we support is Carl, which is the Chiropractic Academy for Research Leadership. They take young uh, science-minded chiropractors and teach them how to do research and get published really well all throughout the world. And we support their mission to develop scientists, scientists, practitioners, and a scientific base to chiropractic. So check them out um, as well. You can Google Carl and chiropractic and that'll pop up pretty easy. Now. Our special guest today is Dr. Timothy J. Bertelsman. Now I've never even asked you, Tim, how to say your name. It could be Bertelsman, it could be Bertelsman, but I'm going with Bertelsman because I don't know. Uh, And you can correct me in a second, but uh, Dr. Bertelsman has got a long distinguished career. as a chiropractor, even though he would probably tell you he's just getting started. He's a certified chiropractic sports physician. He's a diplomat of the American the academy of chiropractic orthopedists and he's a diplomat of the international academy of neuromusculoskeletal medicine which was formerly the daco diplomat. Um, his awards and recognitions and presentations to the presentation to the uh profession and continuing education are extensive extensive i'm not going to go through that whole list but dr bertelsman is a representative a co-founder of one of our most uh appreciated partners in the forward thinking chiropractic alliance and that is Cairo up and uh, this this podcast is not going to be a commercial about Cairo up but uh this man is here representing Cairo up which is beloved by many evidence-informed chiropractors so tell me Tim is it Bertelsmann Bertelsmann Bertelsman? what do we got here yeah he nailed it Bertelsman is perfect okay cool it's a it's a story I used to tell when I was in the military my very first ever job as an 18 year old kid was in a very huge regional hospital in Texas. And it was a training hospital. So, you know, nurses and medical assistants and surgical techs, everybody would come through. This is back in the day of paper records (laughs) and they would drop off their hand carried chart to our records department. And then six weeks later when they left their training, they would pick it up to take it to their next base. And my job or one of my jobs was to stand there with a cart full of hundreds of records and just yell out names. All the different names of all the different cultures that could ever join the military. And I had to nail every single one of them. Because if you got somebody's name wrong, you never heard the end of it. (laughs) Until they left the base. Until they left the base. It's like, get on with you. We don't need you. You presented to me a, a bunch of different topics. That we could possibly discuss and i'd like to get to the the macro ones that we discussed and maybe if we can get to some of your favorite clinical conditions or what you got to say about them. Later on that'd be great, but what I really want to know in the beginning is what compelled you to start something like Cairo up what was the impetus for that
1: uh great question which little timmy
0: when little timmy was sitting there thinking about this
1: and said that the profession needed something what did timmy what did timmy come (laughs) up with exactly timmy needed something for timmy that um, (laughs) i had um, a patient and uh, um, her name was mary garcia i can say that because it's pre HIPAA, and mary had a shoulder complaint and on her third visit she didn't show up so I went up front and asked Debbie, what happened to Mary? And she said, well, Mary called in. She said, she's not really feeling any better. Uh, she's not going to come back and she's going to go see her doctor. And for those of you in clinical practice, you know that that unfortunately does happen periodically, but it really stings and it doesn't sting any less the longer that you're in practice. And so I was pretty confident Mary had a shoulder complaint, a condition of impingement. And this would have probably been about 12 or 14 years ago when the concept and the in the framework for how we treat those conditions was changing from a model of in, inflammation and itis. We used to think it was a chronic tendonitis of the shoulder or elbow or knee or Achilles. And then we started realizing it really wasn't any itis that the inflammation is largely gone after the first 72 hours and a repetitive insult to a tendon. But I hadn't heard that news yet. Um, and so we dove into the research and mind out the best practice data for how to assess that condition, how to treat it, what exercises to give. I was giving exercises, but I wasn't sure if they were the the best exercise. Do you use cross body or do you not? with Somebody with a rotator cuff. And um, we came up with a lot of answers, went to seminars, went to um, any training that we could find and developed a new protocol for managing shoulder impingement syndrome, learned about scapular dyskinesis a whole lot more than what I had in the past, and also learned that that treatment model had evolved and was evolving at that point in time to try to initiate a controlled inflammatory reaction rather than suppress one. So once we started using that recipe, you can imagine what happened to the outcomes that uh, in addition to the half of the patients whose shoulder pain is actually coming from their asymptomatic neck, the other half isn't. And that other half did a whole lot better under that new recipe. When we started addressing the scapular dyskinesis consistently, when we started addressing the tendonopathy, getting rid of the things like the ultrasound or ice or rest or NSAIDs, and implementing things of of today of laser or shockwave therapy, transverse friction massage, instrument assisted manipulation, eccentric exercise, progressive tendon loading, um, and then after that that revelation we decided we probably wanna do this for more than a couple of conditions. So we embarked on a process to to outline a manual just for our office, just for the providers in our office of what's the current standard of care and quickly realized that's a really big project. So we recruited some other people smarter than us and uh, the rest is history. Yeah, it's almost like <clears throat> uh, one
0: of the advantages that I have in the FTCA is that I see thousands of chiropractors interacting with each other the things they say. Now, first and foremost, what a lot of them say is when Cairo up is mentioned or recommended, which it's often recommended in our group is you'll hear them say other people, non non-initiated chiropractors who don't know what Cairo up is, they'll say, what is Cairo up? <clears throat> so, uh, let's get to that. And then I can go to the next step, which is how would you describe what it is to someone who doesn't know what it is?
1: Um, So it's an evolution of that project that we started by taking all of those protocols. Now we have close to 110 uh, protocols, the most common musculoskeletal diagnoses that come into our offices, and we'll have the best practice protocol for managing that, including the assessment and the treatment, the exercises, the ADLs. So it's an online uh, reference that's kept up to date. There are four chiropractors um, whose job it is to mine out new data as it's published, Anything that changes the recipe for a better way to manage it then goes into that protocol and the protocols are there's about 8000 references that support those those 110 protocols so it's an up to date. Uh, resource for determining what's the best way to manage any given condition and then it's um, a resource that allows you to deliver that information to the patients, which is often a challenge that there's a lot of data out there, but first of all, absorbing it, and then secondly, transitioning that to the patient just has always been my challenge and a lot of people. So Chiropa allows you to do that by creating a condition report. If you have a patient who comes in with a lateral epicondylopathy and a cervical disc lesion, you can create a report in 10 or 15 seconds that then outlines for the patient, here's what's wrong, here's what I'm going to do, which is customized to your preferences, here's what you need to do including your exercises with videos. And then most importantly, we measure the outcomes so the providers can see how they performed with that patient, but more importantly, so that we can learn from each other, that ChiroP doesn't get to see anyone's outcomes. We see the cumulative outcomes, but we do get to see the top three providers for each diagnosis. So then we can go to those providers and find out what they're doing different than the rest of us so we learn from each other. Really, we're just a network of 2,500 chiropractors throughout the world. Who are working together to come up with a continually better recipe to help our patients improve quicker?
0: Yeah, this is where it gets complicated, right? Because there, it's the the stakeholders here are numerous and they come from different directions. So there's a there's an opportunity here to provide a service for the doctors themselves, which is uh, condition reports, uh, uh, assistance in you know, treatment protocols, which ways to approach a certain condition, maybe when they're familiar with or not familiar with, then there's the stakeholder of the patient themselves through the reports, through the efficacy of the care, uh, the reporting and responding to treatment and responses. Then there's this other like third interesting. It's the most interesting to me, uh, stakeholder, which is, uh, data, right? It's like, we're gathering cumulative data that could be, uh, you know, turned into case re- case studies or any sort of data, any sort of reporting or research that we wanted to at any given time uh, that serves a larger public or a larger good, or you could even say the
1: profession itself. That's got to be overwhelmingly challenging,
0: <laughs> to uh-huh. say the least
1: yeah but, but like any overwhelming challenge, it's also overwhelmingly exciting to think about the possibilities and I know that you and and your listeners and followers are are more aware in fact you know you're the leaders in the in that process that we went from a historical profession that that started out as an art and science and there's probably a whole lot more art than science uh, to begin with and unfortunately when it's when there's no science it's easy to make stuff up as long as it sounds reasonable until somebody proves otherwise uh, but then ultimately all healthcare professions evolve into uh, a, a matured process that looks more at the science as the foundation for that And i love stephen pearl's quote um, from when he gave a talk for the aca a couple of years ago and he said that science is like a light post and you can use it to illuminate a new path or you can use it like a, a drunk to uh, prop up your wobbly position. And I think that we see both ends of that uh, in our profession, uh, but that's one of the things that makes us struggle when others are using science as a strong platform and we have providers who, who may not be using it to their full advantage, then it creates a disparity and there's there's discrimination in that disparity uh, when we're not keeping up, so those early pioneers of the Stephen Pearls and the Cassidy's and the Haldeman's, who who made that happen, have paved the way for today. That that's a whole lot brighter future. That now we have you know the Cheryl Hawks and Christine Gertz and Michael Schneider and Dean Smith and Katie Pullman and all the organizations like like the FTCA and Fcer and Clinical Compass that make that data a little bit more digestible but it's still our, our challenge to say, how do we take all that information that's pumped out there and turn that into clinical practice Of getting it through the wall that not long ago in, in recent years, it took on average longer than a decade for a new piece of research to actually be implemented in clinical practice. And now we're seeing with, with those types of uh, you know people and processes and groups like yours, that's, that's happening a whole lot more quickly. And that's, I think where our, our future lies as well. As to how can we leverage that that data that EHRs and systems are collecting abundant data that right now um, you know we can we can look at data and a lot of people do from a perspective of if you go if you Google uh, the Medicare calculator the Wall Street Journal Medicare calculator you'll get to see your statistics of what you build to Medicare and you can you can um, search for somebody else you can search for your peer down the street. You can search for one of your classmates and you'll be able to see exactly what they build Medicare, how many times they build for one to two levels versus two to three versus five, how their outcomes and utilization carry on. And there's tons of other data aggregators now that are doing that for private insurance companies. So it's not just the insurance companies that are getting to see that data. Now, everybody's going to see that data that we're in a we're really in a fishbowl nothing's going to happen in isolation or behind our doors, that what happens behind our doors is being made visible to everybody. And that's where we have the ability to shine. We know that chiropractors can outperform most any other group when it comes to musculoskeletal problems, especially neck pain, back pain, cervicogenic headaches and and, and a number of other things. And those are the things that are going to become more and more apparent as long as we're able to maintain a voice in the legislative arena and in the public arena those outcomes are going to shine a a very bright path for us.
0: At this point in time, so we can talk about evidence past, present, future, but at this time with with the present state, are we at the level where we are taking this data and and doing comparative analysis with, you could say other professions, you could say condition across different conditions, but as you stated, when you walk into in a, a meeting with a large stakeholder and say we are performing is that happening
1: now is are those kind of conversations happening yes yeah i think they were evolving from the infancy of that process um, that we we struggled in the past with that but now we have a lot more data coming out because so many institutions are promoting data that they have research directors and there's funds going into that so that's been helpful and I think that now we're starting to see the leveraging that, that we're all aware of all the Weedon studies that have been incredible for helping advance our position and hopefully moving us forward even into Medicare realms that right now every governmental entity is struggling to find a solution to the opioid epidemic and I know that in Illinois we were able to use data to talk to the decision makers and, and help to sway the decision makers and other states have done a similar process now. We're looking at that nationally that we can help with with managing that process and keeping people away from opioids in the first place, but only if we're included in that system. So I think this is our greatest opportunity ever. And it's kind of a a great combination that right now there's a need in society and unfortunately that's a terrible need. But it it also allows our data to show that we can help with that that terrible problem uh, without question and that without that research i don't think we would have had the same seat at the table so yes we're seeing some evolution of that and that's something that's very promising and i think the future will only grow as far as what that data can do as long as we're all willing to jump on board and share that data i think when ehrs start collecting it and uh, practice-based research networks start compiling that data and putting it back out that's when we'll have the machine that's coming to maturity and, and that's going to happen that data is power and um, all corporations and and entities want power. So they're going to use that data to their leverage. We as a profession, the sooner that we embrace that, the the quicker, you know, it's kind of like, you see your kids on the soccer field and the best kid out there from age six through 14 is the one who has about one year of additional knowledge than the kid behind them. That when they start to learn to not be a cloud for the ball, all of a sudden that's the best kid on the field and when they learn to do a throw in properly that becomes the best kid on the field so that kid that can evolve just a little quicker than his exactly. peers is the is the key player and then they gain the confidence and they have that that process and that's what we need to be, to do we we shouldn't be following other professions in embracing data we should be leading other professions in embracing data because we have some some data that can make us look really good
0: yeah there's an important concept here that is historical you know when i observe what people say inside the forward thinking chiropractic alliance facebook group it's a lot of like uh how do we get the public to accept us we'll we'll use that as sort of a general tagline that people will say in, in a bunch of different ways how do we how do we get acceptance how do we get Respect, how do we get people to understand what we do is important and valuable, and all these other statements that are very similar? And it takes me back to, like you said, there was in in earlier chiropractic, there were probably people that were trying to be evidence informed, but you know, the tools were lacking. You know, the Flexner Report at, at the time in the early 1900s had already identified that. Uh, clinical education in a lot of different, not just chiropractic schools or alternative healthcare schools, but medical schools in their own, on their own right was substandard. But in, I believe it was the 1950s and I'm not going to remember the gentleman's name, but there was a report done for chiropractic that was similar to the Flexner report. Somebody had hired an attorney to investigate the nature, the state and nature of chiropractic and what it would have to do to change its reputation in the public eye. This is in the 1950s and we're 70 years later and not much has changed, but the the summation of what that gentleman had said, and and I'll try to get his name later and I'll put in conversations in the FTCA about it so people can read up about it. Uh, His summation was thinking as an attorney, as a trial attorney, is there's two different ways to change the case once the jury, which would be the public in this case, has made up their mind you either need a new trial or you need new evidence he said until and most likely the public's not going to give chiropractic a new trial you're not going to get a new consideration of what chiropractic is or isn't that's why we have people who still online the random trolls online will still use all the same old tired uh uh, verbal attacks on chiropractors that have been going on for years and they'll never change the, you know, the, you're not a real doctor or, uh, you, you know, you didn't, you don't even have a college education. You learned this at the back of a house, you, whatever the insults are the second part, new evidence to prove, uh, that the trot, that the, the case against somebody was wrong. That's the, probably the way we change people's minds in the public eye and in the professional uh, playing field is to offer new evidence. And this seems to be one of the, the, it seems to be the way to go that has the most teeth, I think is this massive data application, collection, and then utilization. Um, My question though is, will this ever filter out to real people? (laughs) Or is it always gonna be boardroom talk uh, maybe we can use it to convince some insurance carriers that reimbursement should go up a little bit i don't know where do you see it going in the future
1: no that's a, you that's love a that great.
0: that was probably the longest way to go about how do how does this affect the
1: future yeah <laughs> <laughs> i i I, uh, I appreciate that that question and i think that uh, that's a challenging one to answer that where it will go, um, you know, we all have our own crystal ball, and we're guessing where it would go. But I think that uh, one thing that people do want and do expect is knowledge. So I think any new evidence is something that that can be absorbed, and it can be absorbed just beyond the the small chiropractic crowds. That ultimately, in the future, if we want to know what we need and where things are going, I think we just look at where where's the money. Um, and in our current model, which is fee for service, which we've talked about evolving for a long time. Um, it is beginning to evolve into a fee for outcomes that instead of just getting paid X dollars for, for, for performing a given service, we'll be paid X dollars for resolving a given condition. And once that is transitioning, that's when we'll see bigger changes. That's when we'll be really interested in data and the, and the data will come out and that we all have a, a V score, a value score, whether we recognize it or not. And our value is the results that we achieve divided by the price of a visit times the number of times we see a patient. So, anything that improves the numerator that makes us more valuable to the healthcare system by getting better results um, is, is positive. And anything that increases the denominator, meaning that it's taking longer or it's costing more for each visit, makes us less valuable to the healthcare system. So, those V scores are something that are calculated in the past. Medicare had talked a little bit about that. That you could take place in there or take part of their their studies. That if you put in a couple hundred hours of work, they'd pay you one percent more. And not a lot of people did that. Uh, but uh, private insurance companies have said, "Yes, we're going to move to that model." And I think as we see more of the self-insured types of plans that are coming out, they'll be much more interested in cutting costs. So I, I could foresee that being something that helps to stimulate that research getting out to know what's effective, what's not effective. Um, and as we're all being compared to not only each other but to other other healthcare providers, um, that'll make a massive difference. That as long as we have the best product, then we're going to have the best V score. That if we can get great results in a short period of time, we're we're most desirable. So any research that helps us to fuel a better V score, a greater value to the healthcare system, should be something that's accessed a lot more quickly and, and reliably. And that's again where I think the the EHRs and the practice-based research networks will help to fuel that as well. That's on a macro level, but it also has to happen on a micro level, that all of that information gets out. You know, a couple of years ago, and on I think in uh, 2017 on Valentine's Day. That's when Annals of Medicine published the clinical practice guideline, the highest form of research. This wasn't a case study, a suggestion or a narrative or even a a randomized controlled clinical trial or systematic review. This was a clinical practice guideline up at the top that said when it comes to acute, subacute or chronic low back pain, let's stop stop prescribing medications and let's start using uh, heat, massage, acupuncture and spinal manipulation. And even when that came out on a macro level, it still didn't penetrate to make a change. I'm not sure about you, I didn't see a lot more referrals the next day from right. primary care physicians, even though that, that had come out. And I think part of that problem is that everybody's taking that information, but they're also filtering that through their own experiences. And based upon what your experiences with a chiropractor will mean how willing you are to accept that data. So we as chiropractors have to do a better job at getting people to consider us reliable sources and to accept that data. So from a, from a medical physician standpoint, they see the study, but what they've heard hundreds of times is that chiropractic didn't work. And the reason for that is because if it worked, the patient wouldn't have gone back and told their doctor. The reason somebody goes back and sees their primary care after seeing us is not to report that hey doctor maybe solved my lower back pain it's to say hey Dr Bertelsman failed on my shoulder and I'm no better than I was three visits ago right and unfortunately the primary care physician hears that on a regular basis they see our failures and we see their failures that's why the majority of us don't think muscle relaxants work we don't think inversion tables work because we've seen all the failures so even though the data says otherwise our personal experience trumps that. So until we can start changing that on a micro level where each of us reaching out to primary care physicians to show them our successes, and each of us reaching out to the public through our social media sites, through our websites, through our newsletters to show people what outcomes are and and what we're accomplishing, I think that that's how we'll have the biggest change to, to be able to, to have that. You can you can put calcium into the system, but if it can't be absorbed, your bones don't get any denser. And our patients and, and, and our public and our medical providers don't get any less dense unless that's ready for absorption. And I think us creating those relationships and sharing success stories on a regular basis, especially with the medical community, will help that information become absorbed a little bit more easily. Yeah, that's that's pretty profound there because...
0: I'm sure everyone's experienced that on some level. And I, even in one of my primary social groups that I, that's a charity group that I work with, uh, I'm in charge. And then the third in charge is a, a physician and a hospitalist. And I mean, even at the dinner, at the dinner tables for our receptions, we'll be like, I don't, I've never seen anything good come from chiropractic. <laughs> it's like, you know, I, you know, and then we've all heard the opposite. We've had orthos, you know, we get, just like you said, we get there quote unquote failed cases but you'll talk to the ortho at a meeting and he'll be like i i assume people don't come back because i got them better (laughs) (laughs) well that's what we all assume you know is that well that's the biggest failure right and that's something that Stu mcgill has said over and over again you don't know especially the field clinicians just don't know because they're they don't have enough of a longitudinal follow-up on these patients to know where they went after they saw you know the way Stu said it to me was where do your patients go after they're done seeing you? And he said that to me when I was like maybe 29 or 30 years old. I don't remember how old I was like a year or two in practice. He's like, where do they go, Bobby, when they don't see you anymore? And I just, as anyone else would say when they're young, I don't know. I figured they just got better and left (laughs) or they didn't like me and they just stopped coming back. He's like, that's right. You don't know. So that's the biggest He says the biggest failure of clinical practice is not knowing where they go. And Stu claims that he has data, of course, as a researcher, he probably would, has data on every single person he's worked with and follows through through with them consistently. So that's a big task. But I think when you gamify things with Cairo Up, it makes it interesting. It makes it a, especially if you've got sort of a gamer mindset, it makes practice fun to get yourself a little score there and to know what you score high in for certainty and know what you don't score well in as far as conditions management that you need to brush up on. And I think, and you, you've you been practicing for quite a while. You remember the old days where you would go to a CE event and the, the talk around the bar was sort of like, how many patients do you see a week? Oh, Jim, how many patients do you see a week? Uh, you know, what kind of car do you drive? And I think the new status symbol for chiropractors should be this, Uh, this V score, you call it a V score, right? Yes. This V score, like, you know, you sit around the bar and you say, what's your V score? No, what's your V
1: score? And then that's the new status symbol of a chiropractor. I I love that. Yeah. In in the old days, you also had to multiply by 0.5, whatever. (laughs) It was Um, always a lie. Always a lie. Yeah. And and the focus was on me. uh, And that's the problem. And now that our focus is on someone else, it's on the patient that we realize that in order to focus on ourselves, we first have to focus on the patient, that we're all in business. We all wanna succeed. We all wanna be successful and have a a nice car and be able to take care of our families. Uh, But instead of doing that from a uh, self-centric way, by doing that through the patient, we tend to get bigger rewards. And I think more and more people are appreciating that. So I love the new new success score being uh, your V score, how you perform, because that's going to be how we're judged by the public that right now there are plenty of websites that can start showing people what that score is. And your patient is not going to care what's pulled up in the in the parking lot. They're going to care, how quickly are you going to solve this? Think of you were going to get somebody to fix your furnace. Uh, if you could find out that this mechanic fixes this furnace on average 99% of the time for $27, and this mechanic fixes it 40% of the time on average for $70, it's easy who you're going to choose. Well, those sort of metrics are going to be available to our patient in the not too distant future. With the data aggregators that are out there, we have new laws that are in place, federal laws that are going to require EHR systems to be able to release that data on a visit by visit basis. Well, there'll be massive data aggregators like Amazons and the Googles of the world that take just like they do now for TripAdvisor. If you have TripAdvisor, a great little app, Um, that if you're going to have a flight and you're going to have a hotel and a car, you just send it all to TripAdvisor, it dumps it in and says, oh, this must be your trip to New Orleans. And so it puts it all together and then links it up. And those same data aggregators will be present for healthcare. Here's all your appointments for the next month. Here are all your diagnoses. Would you like to send that to somebody? So as that data becomes uh, apparent in aggregators, it will certainly also turn into marketing opportunities for for those companies to say (laughs) "Hey, you're the top performer. Uh, and they, they tend not to miss out on an opportunity or a dollar. So I think we'll see that sooner than later. I'm thinking of that, uh, you know, rest in peace, comedian, Bill
0: Hicks. He had a little thing about <laughs> marketing marketers. Like he hated I marketers. Yeah, I, I can't repeat it on a podcast. Yeah, this is a family podcast, you know, <laughs> but he, he didn't like marketers. And he had this whole skit, like marketers kill yourself. And they'd be like, ooh, oh, the marketing kill yourself dollar. That's a good dollar. And I'm just seeing people going after the, the v score performance score dollar, you know. You'll see the Facebook ads now. Exactly. Shouldn't be long. <laughs> no, we're not doing that. We're stop with the marketing. Um <laughs> but, but you know what it's, it's based on data and we gotta really, you know, the, the old way was confirmation bias, right? There's a lot of people seeing me, so I must be good. And it really did stroke the, the provider's ego. But now uh now egos need to be stroked. With merit
1: and performance, and I'm all about that. So it's really nice. And we have we have unbelievable uh, merit and performance that uh, we had had put together um, a synopsis of outcomes. So fortunately, um, our network is able to collect data for each provider, and it's it's anonymous um, data. But from that, we had six hundred and sixty three thousand office visits in a year's time, or I'm sorry, unique presentations, not office visits, many more of those, but 663 unique presentations, meaning that somebody came in with a new diagnosis. And um, from that, we're able to rate what is the satisfaction, what are the clinical outcomes? And this is something that uh, can be distributed on a micro level. Any, anyone can access this if you go to the Cairo Health website and just click on resources and then industry report, Or you could Google CHIRO COPS synopsis and it should come up there too. But we can see that our patient satisfaction is uh, 92.7% of our patients would consider uh, their chiropractor excellent and 6.3% would consider it good. Less than 1% would say fair or poor. So unbelievable, and that kind of goes along with other other studies that when you combine spinal manipulation with standard care, things get a whole lot better. That there was the Gert study uh, back in Spine not too long ago that said the same thing. And our patients are proud of that; they want to refer to quality providers. Uh, that the average likelihood to refer is ninety-seven percent for the chiropractic profession. Our net promoter scores for our profession that. The net promoter scores would be if you surveyed every one of your uh, patients or customers, regardless of what business you're in, and ask them, how likely are you to refer to this company in the future? If they rate you as a nine or 10, they're a promoter. If they rate you as a zero through six, they're a, a detractor. And If they rate you as a seven or an eight, they're neutral. And so if you take the percent of promoters minus the percent of detractors, which can be anywhere from negative 100, if you had 100% detractors and no promoters, Or it could be positive 100 if they were all promoters with no detractors. When you take that number, if you can get above zero, you're doing good. If you can get up between 20 and 50, uh, you're favorable. And if you can get from 50 to 80, uh, it's it's excellent with anything above 80 being pretty rare and world class. In fact, the Four Seasons Resorts net promoter score is not 80. So it's tough to come by, Uh, but our profession should be very proud that our net promoter score is 90. Uh, 89.8 so that's that's unbelievable what we're accomplishing in a profession that's that's nationwide too out of the 15 countries that that we're tracking um, chiropractic has a very similar net promoter score in, in each of those countries so regardless of the laws and and what we're able to deliver what we're able to treat we're doing a good job and that bodes exceptionally well for our future that if we can disseminate that information to our patients to our medical community and to decision makers who are making laws that can help us, um, we're, we're going to be in a really good position. Now, is there is this data that you're collecting? Yes. Uh, Cairo Up? Yeah. This yes. Cairo Up users. Up. Right. This was Cairo Up users data. Um, and then we, we've also mixed in any other data. One of the reasons we came up with this report is that we searched for a lot of these things that, you know, what is the average patient satisfaction, net promoter score, Google review? Uh, what's the outcome per diagnosis to see what, and and the data really, there's not a ton out there, but we incorporated anything that was out there as well. So studies that are related to that are in there. And then um, certainly our data, which, which was substantial, and we'll be doing this on a yearly basis, and then encouraging anybody to disseminate that to your patients, you're welcome to take screenshots of any of the graphs. It's, it's all graphical. It's like one huge infographic uh, and put those on social media. That would be something your patients might be really interested in. And certainly as part of the chiropractic profession, you should be proud of those numbers. Well, can we concede, can see there may be a flaw in that
0: data in the fact that it's Cairo up users. Now I'm going to, this is a, this is a backhanded compliment. So let me ride with it. <laughs> the, the, the type of practitioner who would join and and stay with and contribute the data to Cairo Cairo up is probably a higher quality for lack of better words higher quality practitioner than one who would never get near this stuff you know the 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 doc that's sort of in the woods hasn't changed their practice since the uh, 90s doesn't read up on stuff they're probably not going to participate in Cairo up and who knows even if they have a good net promoter score or not who knows if they have a good V score or not, who knows if they score well or not. They're just out there. So you have participators, uh, high quality people. So that's going to push the data up a little bit.
1: Yeah, a- absolutely. And uh, Whedon, again, he's, he's done so many incredible studies uh, in 2000 or 2020, December of 2020 in chiropractic manual therapies even talked about how um, evidence-based providers out uh, chiropractors outperform their peers. So we did put a disclaimer at the end of it saying that this data is from from a network of evidence-based providers. Um, oh, snap. There you go. <laughs> um, and I think in the, the things, football, I see. Yeah. One, one of the things um, that really makes that unique is I think evidence-based providers. a lot better job at looking at functional diagnoses at identifying the, the the problem below the problem in fact um three of the top 15 diagnoses were functional diagnoses upper cross syndrome is the number two diagnosis and scapular dyskinesis is is high on the list as well lower cross syndrome hip abductor weakness those are all all up there and i think that chiropractors who are taking the time to identify those are certainly gonna outperform their, their peers. Um, and one of the things that we were able to accomplish with the COP synopsis is defining what are the most common diagnoses the whole way through out of the 110, and what are the typical outcomes for each of those? So um, I, I think the functional diagnoses and the evidence-based chiropractor goes hand, and by functional, I mean biomechanical dysfunction. Uh, I think that goes hand in hand, and, and that's probably one of the reasons that, that they perform so well.
0: Dr. Tim, I got to break this to you and I'm sorry to say it. Biomechanics don't matter. <laughs> don't you know, come on, come on, old guy, come on, boomer.
1: Biomechanics ha- don't
0: matter. I'll have to
1: take a new class on
0: that one. <laughs> um, yeah, And also kudos for not jumping on that marketing bandwagon and being like cairo up users have higher net promoter scores than other chiropractors. I appreciate that absolutely you keep that one in your back pocket if you need it yeah and we don't know that so <laughs> um as we wrap up here is there anything else you think you want to add as far I, we've we've obviously got to do this again i'd like to have you come back and talk about the shoulder specifically it's obvious that shoulder is a passion of yours at least uh
1: we've got to give you your due on that one at some point <laughs> it uh i'd love to talk about the shoulder uh, or, or any other joint, as far as that goes, as long as it's one of my slides, I'll be able to talk about it.
0: <laughs> uh, uh but, but as, as we're wrapping up here, what give me, give everybody who's listening, some little nuggets, a pearl of advice that they could take with them. Some kind of quick win that you've gleaned over these years, uh, that you think a lot of them sort of miss, but it's so simple. It's right in front of their faces. They just did that. It would really, really open up
1: a lot of doors and eyes for them. Uh, Two things. Number one, realize that you're the best, that you don't need to play second fiddle to anyone, that when you're a new chiropractor coming out of school and you move into a community and you hear, you know what, you're going to be the 51st chiropractor in this town or 101st or third or whatever, whatever there is, um, it doesn't matter that all you need to do is decide where you're going to fall in the pecking order of the product that you deliver. That as long as you're delivering a evidence-based product that keeps up with the current standards of care, that you care about your patients, you put them first, you can be the first first provider in that community of 100. So you get to pick your point on the list. So don't don't forget that you never have to be at the end of a list. Don't feel that you're the 101st chiropractor in the community. Choose to be the first. And certainly, um, I would think the majority of the people listening to this podcast have the ability to be high on that list. And secondly, share those outcomes, because when you do um, deliver evidence-based care on a regular basis and do put the patient first, your outcomes are going to show that. So if if, uh, I could say one selfish thing that our mission is to advance the chiropractic profession um, and make us the undeniable best choice, and for all of us to accomplish that, if you just send a release report to the primary care physicians to let them know that, hey, I saw Mary Smith, I treated her six times, her shoulders better i'm releasing her from care share every single one of those success stories with your with the patient's primary care physician so that they can see that pattern of excellence saying hey that this doctor uh, is getting results that when he she treats the shoulder or he treats the elbow whatever it may be that there's routine improvement in that case if every primary care physician in your town could hear about every one of your successes That would be great. And if every primary care physician in the United States or the Canada or the world could hear about every chiropractor's successes, we'd have an entirely different landscape and you and I can make that happen. Deliver release reports to those when the patient's done with care, a quick three paragraph note that says this patient came in on this date, my diagnosis was this. I treated them X times, they're X percent better. And at this point in time, here's the disposition. I'm releasing them from care or turning them back over to you or whatever, whatever it may be. If we could all do that, we'd have a different world and and we can make that happen. Um, I'm going to step that up inside the FTCA. If you guys go
0: to the, we're going to do it with, I'm going to do it with FTCA members. Of course, I want to, I want people to become members of the FTCA so we can do things like this. So I'm going to, I'm going to. You know, you mentioned New Orleans earlier, and as we wrap up, I want to say thank you for you and Dr. Brandon Steele for uh, accepting the invite to speak at our annual conference in New Orleans, September 23rd through the 25th, 2022. Um, Inside that Members Only, if you're a member, join the Members Only Facebook group. I'm going to do a release report contest. I'm just going to have docs uh, just... Uh, how would you explain it do this do what dr tim just said send out release reports the way that they were just outlined keep them and whoever whoever submits the most release reports up to the date of the event that we're going to have in september gets a free ticket nice so we're going to pay for somebody to go to new orleans uh to see you and uh, Dr. Steele and everybody else who's presenting in New Orleans, uh, if they do this, if they make a difference and make an impact, and start doing these release reports, Fantastic. and they're
1: FTCA members in the process, <laughs> <laughs> and hope hopefully they are. Uh, most importantly, <laughs> thank thank you for what you're doing. That one of the reasons that we are advancing is we realize that we're not in isolation anymore. That yeah. We're all in school um, and we tend to get out in practice and become islands, and that's how things can go south. And seeing that we're part of something larger, that we're part of a, a network of like-minded peers makes all the difference. So thank you for making that uh, you, you know the biggest network of evidence-based providers. You know, uh, we're certainly grateful to be one of the partners in that process and, and wish you and, and everybody else in that same family the best of success as we continue on. Thanks for what you've done for us absolutely absolutely that was the purpose bringing everybody to the table to talk
0: it's not pretty it's 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 an extended family and we've got a a couple uncle eddies in here but we love them (laughs) love them nonetheless perfect (laughs) all right take care thank you Thank, thank you again